Rudimental, a series in which chef and author Annie Smithers investigates the very basics of kitchen craft. Annie Smithers. Hello, Jonathan. Last time we met, uh, we began a conversation about the kitchen garden and the, the almost irresistible lure of, of growing some food for yourself. You can see the smile <laughs> on my face for this subject. Uh, now, if you missed that, um, check it out. It's on the ABC Listen app, of course, or on the Blueprint page, the Radio National website. To recap very quickly, uh, we spoke last time about the herbs, the salad greens, those sort of fundamental the things little that things. You, might, you might like the to have a go at. The little things that you can grow in the ground or in a pot and you know, test the waters of whether this is for you or not. And both those things in a way are sort of related. They're the things that you can be cooking and grab a bit of. Yeah. And they grow like that too. Yeah. They, they you suit. You can keep pruning them. And that makes them tremendously attractive. If you're not going in, you know, whole hog on the whole kitchen garden thing, but just dabbling, those are tremendous ways to go about it. But and there's the, there's the bigger, smaller scope of it for me, is that, you know, a lot of people like to garden in raised beds. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to carve up their backyard a bit and put down a plot. Advantage of the raised bed? Advantage of the raised bed is your back doesn't get so sore and it's a it's a controlled environment. You can make your soil what you, you want it to be. You can make your soil what you want it to be. But there's two things that, you know, growing food you need all the time and you need plants need food and water. So I think one of the things that people forget about in their raised beds is that that soil the good in it gets used up. It needs to be replenished. A lot because you're asking a lot from a one of those raised garden beds in the boxes. They're what a meter and a half by a meter and a half, or small space growing a lot of things. Small space growing a lot of things, and every time you grow something, that plant is taking nutrients out of the soil, and it's feeding off that. So you need to remember to keep addressing the balance of it and top dressing it with compost and manure and things, so that you know the next crop of plants keeps going. Now we, after cutting up the ground at our place you know, six years ago with a mechanical digger where I cut millions of sorrel plants into hundreds of millions of sorrel plants and I'm still weeding sorrel <laughs> and I will still be weeding sorrel for the rest of my life. Why was there so much sorrel? It's a sheep paddock. Ah. So it was just a paddock and by, by using mechanical methods we cut the weeds up and redistributed them and created an absolute nightmare of classic old school proportions. Now that we're sort of moving further down the paddock and siting a new garden down in the bottom paddock, we're doing things very differently. It's a much more modern interpretation of what's known as sort of regenerative farming and no-dig farming. And this is really suitable for a backyard, particularly at this time of year, because my gardening year starts in July, a little bit like the financial year. So we start in July looking at what we're going to grow for the rest of the year and mapping that out. So at this time of year, uh, it may not be an instant fix. This is a long-term proposition. We will tarp a piece of ground. So we will either lay heavy cardboard on it or tarpaulins to lock the light out from that grass or weeds or whatever is there and just let it sit for months. 
Without light, the weeds die off and it starts to create a different sort of infrastructure for the plants to grow in. And when you expose it, all the weeds have died off, all the grass has died off, the roots have been killed, but you haven't disturbed them and cut them up and strewn them about. So you can sort of then start building on top of that. So while you're waiting for that to happen, you can make some fabulous compost. And that's all the stuff from your kitchen, lawn clippings, bit of straw. If your kids have got rabbits or guinea pigs, urine and feces soaked straw is just magic for compost. You know, you start building this thing in the back of the yard where you have, you know, you're producing beautiful, vibrant, rich dirt in the form of compost. If you don't want to do that, you can buy it from the nursery. Buy the cubic metre. Buy the cubic metre or buy the bags of it or whatever. But that first process of putting down some cardboard and putting a tarp down and killing off that area so then you can go forth, put your compost and your manure and things on top and then let that sit for a little while and then start planting in it. Because in terms of integrating what you just put on top with a bit on the bottom, yeah. there's critters what will do that for you. It is the critters that will, what will do that for you, sir. <laughs> your worms. Um, your worms and the <laughs> bugs and the, you know, that beautiful life force mm. that lives in there. We do that a lot these days with ours. We keep a lot of animals just simply so that we can get all of their bedding so that we make beautiful, rich compost. And then we raise our seeds in seedling trays or in little plugs of dirt that we press out. We have a, a slurry of dirt. We put them in and we plant seasonally. Everything has its time and its place, but some things take a long time. For example, Brussels sprouts we sow in October, November. You know, they were planted out sort of late January, February. We won't expect those to fruit until you know, April or May and we'll see a succession of those. But for us, planting Brussels sprouts in March is an absolute waste of time. Climatically, they won't produce sprouts for us in the right amount of time. Purple sprouting broccoli is a similar one. We'll put that in in November and we won't expect to see purple sprouting broccoli until September the following year. Parsnips and leeks take forever but are absolutely joyous when you actually get to eat them. So for the kitchen gardener there are two things aren't there? There's the stuff that will keep you ticking over with some interesting yep. and delicious things yes know, and that's your salad greens your herbs maybe stuff like potatoes in a bag potatoes in a bag potatoes in a sack potatoes in a pot an old tire but then there's that and that's probably another conversation yeah. but but then there are those things like if you've got half a dozen leeks that have been sitting there Nurture. forever they're going to be such a treat they're not going to sustain the family for months no, but you're going to make one pot of leek and potato soup. Which will soup be so good. That will be so good. It will be carved into your children's memory forever and they will go forth and yeah. grow their own leeks. But so it is, it's worth doing that in your small kitchen garden. I think it's definitely worth doing it. And the other thing to remember is that don't grow stuff that your family doesn't like because it's really <laughs> rejection is really boring because even if you don't like it you've grown it and you feel incredibly proud of it but when everybody turns their nose up at some silver beet 
it really deflates you and it makes you feel... It's a pity because the silver beet's a beautifully rewarding thing to grow. It's very rewarding, but it's (laughs) not... It goes forever. It's not a... Well, I think now we're lucky because we have things like ruby chard and things, which is much more flavoursome than good old-fashioned silver beet. And it is a prolific vegetable and Mm. easy to grow. There's lots of lovely things that you can grow that are quite instant. So radishes. Mm. Homegrown radishes are beautiful. We grow those in planter boxes now because they just seem to enjoy that at our place much better than in the ground. We grow beautiful carrots because we have delicious topsoil. Carrots are hard for people who have, you know, really solid clay soils because you've really, no dig gardening is a bit, you know, tough if you want to grow beautiful long straight carrots. Well, you go your Paris market. You go your Paris market, the little golf balls. Mm. But they're another thing that's lovely to grow in a deep planter. So, you know, the root vegetables, you know, I grow lots of turnips, but my partner doesn't like, you know, the vegan doesn't turnips like turnips. Turnips are a thing, I think. Turnips are a thing. <laughs> turnips but are they're delicious. They're rewarding grow. Similar to that, a value thing is, is beetroot too, because... You get the root, but you also get leaves. You do, and you can harvest those leaves you know, systematically while your mm. beetroot's growing mm. too. The thing that you can do with beetroots is what we grow red beetroots or purple beetroots, several several different varieties. The beautiful Chiodja, which is a candy stripe one, yellow beetroots, which are beautiful colours on the plates. They are just such yes. glorious sunshine. <laughs> we grow white beetroot which tastes like beetroot but are perfectly white and sort of fool the customers. They think, oh, she's put on a puree of something white. And then they think, oh, Oh, that's beetroot. beetroot. How did that come to pass? (laughs) Yeah, we have a joke in the garden at home of restaurant quality. Yeah, we have restaurant quality things. So I plant a lot of successive bean crops. So I love a French bean or a climbing bean. I just love a green bean. But the beans that you pick in the first, second or third pick Mm. are very different to the beans that you pick sixth, seventh, eighth flush. Those ones are coarse and vulgar and even when they're young, they are not the same as those beans that you pick the very first beans from that, that bush. So peas are the same. You get a chance as a home gardener to really fine-tune what you get to eat. You might not care that your beans are coarse and vulgar, but I care as a restaurateur and a chef that I want to produce the best possible beans for my people to eat. You know, in the same instance, we have a recurring joke between us about broad beans. Now... I don't start picking broad beans until January, which is way after everybody else's is finished. We grew a lot of broad beans, and by the time we got to the end of the broad beans, they were, you know, some of them were very large, they were yellowing off, and they were not what I refer to as restaurant quality broad beans. But I couldn't bear to just say, you're no good. So those last five or six boxes of broad beans got potted and peeled, and we actually freeze ours in containers full of water, so they're frozen in a sort of ice block status. I'm going to make falafels out of them, Mm. because a falafel made with a beautiful fresh broad bead, even if it is a bit yellow, is a glorious thing. All that labour makes that food more valuable to you, which is a I think a very pertinent lesson in our throwaway world. There's no getting around it that it takes effort 
and it takes time to learn these lessons of rhythm and season and what works and what doesn't and how to get a good outcome. What a, what a joyful learning experience and, and not one that should deter you. I don't think it should deter you and I think that we're all aware of how fast the world is these days and you know taking care of something like a plant that is going to reward you with food is just a moment outside of that madness of life that can be incredibly rewarding and can give you so much there will always be failures and it also teaches you that that's okay it it attaches you to the climate it attaches you to the season it attaches you to the fragility but also the great joy that growing food can give you and give others around you yeah you know, what a beautiful thing it is to take a, you know, a perfect bunch of carrots or radishes to a neighbor or a friend or I made know, these I made these <laughs> I grew these and it just speaks volumes yeah. of care and love have a crack people um, have a go there's no end of stuff on your internet of you know planting guides and seasonal guides for wherever you are because that's important absolutely and every you know every australian seed company you know they have in their resources a seed planting calendar for cool you know medium and tropical mm. type things they're is huge amount of information out there about yields so that you can get a gra you can grasp how much you know how much a bean bush is going to give you you don't have to have masses but remember plants like food and water that is their requirement so you need to always remember feed them and water them and they will reward you any thank you my pleasure ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.